0: Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. This is the word of the Lord. Let's bow together. Lord, we would ask that uh, you would now teach us from your word. We would pray that you would open it up, that we would hear from you, from your precious Holy Spirit and we look to you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So once again, if you're, if you're visiting with us, um, to let you know we have been going through John. Well, it's, it's obvious if you look at the outline it says, uh, believe, number 59. This has been a, a series that we have done in the Gospel of John. And uh, in God's providence, as we approach Easter, we are at what many would consider to be the Easter passages uh, the passages that uh, we preached on the last two weeks and, and today and next week and the week after, um, those are passages that many pastors will be preaching on on Easter Sunday morning. So this has been a, just a rare privilege for me, uh, untypical in a way, uh, to be able to, to look at the resurrection, really in this case, from uh, five different passages as we lead up to Easter. So what we're going to see today is, is Jesus' first appearance to the group of his followers, his disciples. And, and the question would be, what's he going to say? What do you say? And, and what would they think? That he would say to them, if they were anticipating him uh, coming, that that he was indeed alive, that he had walked out of the tomb. And, And that's what we see in this passage. So let me remind you of the setting, verse 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. So the disciples were gathered together on the same day as we've been talking about for the last two Sundays, but it's uh, just to remind you, it's the day that that, uh, uh, the women went to the tomb early in the morning. They saw that the the stone had been uh, rolled away, and uh, so they they told uh, Peter and John. Peter and John came. Uh, so that was in in the morning, and then there was the encounter with Mary, that we talked about uh, last week, and then uh, and the women at the tomb. Um, so a, a couple of weeks ago, we mentioned. Uh, that it, it's putting it in the context of the, the first day of the week, and that it really was from that time forward until today that Christians gather, not on the Old Testament Sabbath day, but on the first day of the week to celebrate the resurrection. And so we have uh, him, him putting it in that context and he says now it's evening of that first day of the week. So as far as I can tell, that must have been the first community group to, to meet. <laughs> but it's a little different than our community group because it, it says that uh, the, the doors were bolted we don't, we don't lock our doors on Sunday night. Everyone in our group just walks in, usually the children first and then, and then others, and uh, we don't have any fear of anyone, any stray person accidentally walking into our house or anyone coming to do us ill. But that's exactly what was going on. With them now, think about who would have been there. Uh, of course, there's Peter and John, some of the other disciples. There would have been uh, the ones we read about over in Luke 24, the two on on the road to Emmaus, who uh, encountered Jesus, the risen Lord. And at first, they didn't recognize him, and then he. He talked about how he was the one. He started in the Old Testament, went all the way through the Bible and explained. And then they, they looked at him and they realized this is, this is him. And it says, then they made their way back to Jerusalem and they found the disciples. So they would have been there, probably some of the women as well. And there they were in their group, locked in because of fear of the Jews now think about it they didn't know what was going to happen next we know because we can look back they weren't really in danger but they didn't know that and it's understandable to to think about how they might have wondered well now especially with Jesus' body gone they're going to be really mad what if they come after us Maybe that was even part of their plan all along. Maybe maybe everyone in this room is going to be crucified. They didn't know. And so they're in the room with that kind of a fear going on and in all likelihood debriefing what had gone on during the day. The women telling what they had seen, Peter and John, these two from the, uh, on the road to Emmaus who were uh, discouraged and going away in grief and, and met the Lord, and, and they're all talking about what's happening, and then it got quiet, because Jesus showed up. Look what happens. Verse 19. Jesus came and stood among them. We're going to talk about His greeting to them in a minute. but what what kinds of things can we discern uh, just seeing this that he came and stood among them? Well, for one thing, he had a real body. He, he was not ghostly, he was visible to all of them but even though he had a real body it was different he was outside of the locked door and then he was inside the locked room no indication that Anybody knocked on the door, there wasn't a need for that. It wasn't a matter of inviting him in, anything like that. What we're going to see is that, that his body at that point is not bound by the same kinds of things that it was before the resurrection. Remember when we, we talked about what they found in that tomb... They found his grave clothes had just collapsed. Evidence, virtually every commentator feels that he went right through his grave clothes somehow. So there was that difference. F.B. Meyer says this. He was not subject to all the laws that govern our physical life. He could pass freely through unopened doors and at will, he could manifest himself, speak, stand, and walk, or subject himself to a physical sense. So we see that about the, the resurrection body, the glorified body. And by the way, it is not a, a large leap for us to understand that this is a glimpse of what our bodies will be like when we are glorified as well. Amazing. Incredible. But we also see this. His human and divine nature remained. Here's what I mean by that. After the resurrection, he was not all of the sudden omnipresent. Now that's one of the attributes of God. Omnipresent means present everywhere. He, he just wasn't. He was in one place at one time. And so there is that which, by the way, just gives us more reason why the Holy Spirit needed to be sent. So that the Holy Spirit could, cause, uh, could have God present everywhere at all times. So whereas as, uh, Jesus, as the resurrected Lord, we know now, because we read later in the Scripture, that he is at the right hand of the Father, but the Holy Spirit is right here, and not only right here, he's within all of his people. So when we say, Jesus lives in my heart, what we're saying is the spirit of christ the holy spirit lives within the believer and so then he greets them peace be with you you think they might have been wondering what's he going to say if we see him again they knew how they had acted the last uh, couple of days Arthur Pink says, Jesus could have said, shame on you, but instead he said, peace be on you. Isn't that just like Jesus? His grace and his mercy, when they are uh, no doubt in his presence, immediately feeling guilt for running away or denying him or or whatever their actions were. Even the best of their actions weren't what they would have wanted it to be. And and any of us would feel that in the presence of Jesus. But instead of shaming them more, he pronounces peace. That's a a common um, message. If you go to Israel today... You'll hear people say this, shalom aleichem, peace be on you. And then we see him offering proof of who he is. Verse 20, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. His wounds were there. in his glorified body. They were still there. But, let's talk real practical. They weren't still bleeding. Even though his his feet had been pierced, there was no problem for him to walk on them. That was his perfect body. I know. I know we tend to to talk about, well, when I get to heaven, then this or that, we all think of our our flaws. This or that won't be there. Well, I'm not sure we know what our bodies exactly will be like and what won't won't be there, but I'll just tell you they're going to be better. (laughs) They'll be better. I probably heard more amens on that than I have on any... (laughs) Your bodies aren't that bad. Come on. Okay. He, so here's, here's what happens. Let me, let me go over because there's a parallel passage over in Luke 24, verse 38. It says this, and uh, this is a parallel to this. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet. See, in the other passage, it, it talks about his hands and his side. Neither of these are wrong. They're just one mentions his hands and feet. The other mentions his hands and side. That it is I myself. Touch me and see. For spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. So we get a little insight into what his body was like. And when he had said this, he, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still... disbelieved for joy. What a phrase. They still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? You gotta love Jesus. (laughs) He's showing us something else here too, isn't he? That's how physical he was. They gave him a piece of broiled fish And he took it and ate before them. So we see that uh, Jesus appears before them. It's clear. He wasn't just some crucified person who was in front of them because none of the other crucified persons had the wound in their side. And that's what we see in John. He says, it's me. It's me. And when he showed them that, we, we see later in the New Testament, John, referring back to these appearances uh, in First John, you don't need to turn to it, uh, but you can turn to it later. In First John 1, he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon, have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And then later on, he says, That which we have seen, we proclaim also to you. Um, And so uh, the emphasis, John is saying later in his ministry, I saw him. We saw him. We were there and saw him after he rose. And then back in John chapter 20. It talks about uh, him showing them. The Greek word means to show or point out, present to sight, demonstrate, to prove. This was the same Jesus who accomplished what he said he was going to do. To die on the cross, to pay the penalty for the sins of his people. And he says, I'm here. And then the disciples react. It says the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. I think that has got to be the the biggest understatement in maybe in all of scripture. When I read, couldn't John have said something bigger than that? But we have to think they were they were overjoyed. And as I read to you in Luke 24, while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling. So remember, we're looking back. We've heard of a resurrection. They're in the room with Jesus, who, who they just saw die on the cross. They know he was dead. And they're trying to figure it out. But they were joyful. And he continues to speak to them. Verse 21. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. He greets them again. Now, you know, why did he do it twice? Maybe he thought they, they wouldn't have heard the first one. We don't know. Commentators just say this, this had to mean something that, that he said it twice. Well, of course it meant something that he, he said it twice. Remember back in John 14? Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You, heard, you have heard me to say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. So here he is, standing in front of a group that, that minutes earlier were still grieving, were still confused, could not figure out what was going on, and he he stands in front of them and he says, it's okay. I'm here. The peace I promised you, here I am. And that's what he gives to them. And then he says, as the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. This is John's version of the Great Commission. All four Gospels have a version of the Great Commission in, in Mark, it says, uh, Mark 16, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Luke 24, it says, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And the one we think of most commonly in Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And John here gives his version of the Great Commission. And what he's doing, that is a little dissimilar to the others. What we see here is he connects our commission with his commission. Do you see that? He sends us out, but he says, it's like my father sent me, I'm sending you. What you are going to do is a continuance of my coming. You all wanted me to be here. You followed me. Now, it's your turn. And then... He makes it abundantly clear that not only do they have this commission, they have something that they are to do, but he's going to empower them. He's not just going to send them. He's going to empower them. Verse 22, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now we're going to see later in Acts, in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. And there we see Uh, The Holy Spirit poured out in a magnificent way, but the Holy Spirit is already being given to them. They are in need of peace. They are already in need of empowerment, and he breathes it out on them as a sign of the new creation. He's sending and empowering them. But there's one other thing here. Look at verse 23. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, some have taken this passage to mean that uh, those in that room were given a special authority. And that authority, according to those who take it this way, is to actually forgive sin. So they would have that authority and then they would pass it on to others who would be priests down through the centuries that you would go to and you would uh, uh, repent before, you would confess before, and then those priests who had the same authority as these disciples, they would then... Grant you absolution, give you forgiveness. This is the passage where they go for that. That is not what this means. Seems like it, sounds like it. What does it mean then? Well, first of all, we need to put it in the context of all of Scripture, and we know this. Only God can forgive. That is an absolute principle. You know what? Even the Pharisees knew that. The Pharisees, that's one of the things, they got so upset at Jesus because he he granted forgiveness, and they said, he can't do that. Only God can do that. And you know what? They were absolutely right. They just didn't know he, he... is God, and so he had the authority to be able to do that. So that's the first reason it can't mean the way I explained it a moment ago. If one claims to forgive sin as God, that's blasphemy. Only God can do that. So what is being said? Let me read to you from John Piper. He says, when you tell people about what I've done, Jesus has done, speaking my word about my work and the power of my spirit, I'm the one speaking through you, so that if anyone believes your word, I forgive their sins, and if any does not believe your words, I don't forgive them. And since you are my voice and my truth, I speak to you, forgiving them and you withholding forgiveness. I'll read you one more commentator and then we'll, then we'll explain. Another commentator says, the church is authorized therefore not to remit sin, but to tell sinners the terms on which they may know their sins have been forgiven. Conversely, that forgiveness is withheld. In other words, the church is not authorized to say your sins are forgiven, but rather Your sins have been forgiven. So here's the point. This is talking about what our message is in sharing the gospel. Here's our message. If you come to Jesus Christ and you trust in him alone, your sins are forgiven. Not because I said so but because God said so. But conversely, here is our message as well. If you do not trust in Jesus Christ alone for your eternal life, your sins are still on you. We have to give both sides of the message. And that's what Jesus said to his disciples in that room. That's how important the message of the gospel is. And that's the message of this table that's before us. In fact, all of the teaching that he did is the message of this table that is represented before us. Like the wounds he showed the followers. This reminds us of his sacrifice for our sin. At this table, he communicated, peace be upon you, you who partake in Christ. And at this table, his Holy Spirit feeds us by faith. And we celebrate his forgiveness. And from this table, we are sent to tell others of that forgiveness. Let's pray together. Lord, as we bow before you and before we come to this table, we would pray that, that your word and this sacrament, this, this meal would strengthen us. Thank you for that great forgiveness that you give to your people. Thank you that it is offered freely, that we cannot buy it. We cannot earn it but it is only by grace and that when you look upon your people, those trusting in you alone for eternal life, your message is still peace be upon you. Thank you for that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.